The following audio is from LCBC Church. To learn more about LCBC, visit lcbcchurch.com. Well, as we talk about finding our way back in relationships, whether it's relationships with God or relationships with others, this weekend, we actually have a special guest that's here to guide us, talk to us about how do we, do, how do we reconnect in our relationships, maybe as families, as people that, uh, with people that we love. And so Dr. Gary Chapman is here with us. And Gary, thank you for being here and uh, spending your weekend with us. So. Thank you, David. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you. So if you are not familiar with Gary, let me tell you a little bit about him. And so uh, this is the kind of stuff you probably wouldn't tell about yourself. But uh, he has plenty of degrees if you're worried about does this man know what he's talking about. Uh, You have a bachelor's from Wheaton College. You have a master's from Wake Forest. You have a Ph.D. from Southwestern Seminary. And then lots of other schooling as well, right? My father kept asking me, when are you going to start working, son? (laughs) (laughs) And what would you tell him? (laughs) One more degree, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) One more degree. So, and then he jokes about his dad telling him to work, because he has been working a lot over the last number of years. As a matter of fact, after 50 years of serving as a senior associate pastor at Calvary Church in Winston-Salem, is that right? That's correct. Um, Just the end of July, you stepped away from that role specifically after 50 years, which is pretty incredible. But they did offer to let me stay in my office and keep on counseling people. So, Is that right? Well, that's yeah. good. Yeah, I'm just that's... off the payroll now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's amazing to me is that Gary has been doing this for 50 years. And so even as we were standing singing um, together in the gathering and thinking, okay, so you've been doing this for 50 years. This is home for you being in a church gathering. Um, and then what Gary was saying is he still does counseling uh, with couples, individuals. And so you're right in the thick of things. So you're not somebody that has uh, studied it, written about it, but really doesn't know it firsthand, you know it well. So I think that's a real cool thing. Well, I think if we're going to help people, we have to stay connected to pain because we're all going through pain somewhere along the line. Yeah, very true. Uh, Family, so uh, married to Carolyn for over 45 years is what I saw. Is that the... That's what they said, but to be honest, last week, week before last, 60 years. Six, say that again? Six zero. 60, okay, wow. (laughs) That's impressive. That's good. (laughs) And my wife says she doesn't know how that happened, how that could be true, because she's only 49. <laughs> so she must be the one telling them to say 45 years. So, I think so. Uh, yeah, okay, that's good. Wow, okay, that's even more impressive. Two kids, two grandkids, and still live in the Winston-Salem area. Absolutely. And uh, Gary, last week, I need to tell you, I was describing you coming, talked about the five love languages, a book which you wrote, and I was just trying to impress everybody with you and what you had done, and I think I actually said in this gathering, which then ended up going online for the rest of eternity, is uh, you sold over 20 copies of that particular book, <laughs> which is really impressive. And so, wow, you know, how, did, how could you do that? 20 copies. But 20 million copies is the actual right number. So just, just a few zeros that I left out there. So, um, so we're all excited to have you here. You're going to be back with us in October, but excited to have you here this week in Gary and uh, really talking about finding our way back in relationships. And I think you're talking about just family relationships and how do we work in those dynamics. So real good to have you here. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, David. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. God bless. Thank you. Let's welcome Gary again and say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think they're going to put a podium here for you. Yeah. You know, when we were singing that song about uh, how great God was and the day's going to come when every knee's going to bow and praise God, I was thinking about a saying I heard years ago that said, to live up above with the saints that we love, that will be glory. But to live here below with the saints that we know, that's a different story. So I'm going to talk today about living here below with the saints that we know, okay? I want to talk to you about 
Five signs of a healthy family. You know, I think we're in danger today of actually losing the concept of what a family is supposed to look like. The reality is every one of us grew up in a family. Some of you are single adults, and you, looking back on your family, others of us are older, and our immediate family, our children, are up and gone now. And some of you are still have your children at home, and some of you are married without children. Some of you are in a blended family. So I want to talk about what does a healthy family look like? And if you're single and looking back, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a little quiz at the end of this thing. And uh, if you're married, I'm going to give you a little quiz. I hope that you'll write down these five things because I'm going to give you a take-home quiz, okay, at the very end of it. So I want to read, first of all, a passage in Scripture that many Christians are very familiar with, and sometimes they read it so many times they really miss the key issues. And then others who aren't Christians are not familiar with Scripture kind of read this and shake their head and say, what is that talking about? It's found in Ephesians chapter 5, and ver beginning in verse 18, and it says this, don't get drunk with wine. That's good advice. Nobody's family ever got help by somebody getting drunk. And then it says, uh, but be filled with the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's what we've been doing this morning. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's really what makes a church work, is our serving each other. And then he, then he gets to the family, and he applies this in the family. And he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, wives also should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way that husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Now, we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What is the promise? That it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, from that passage, I want to draw five signs of a healthy family. Number one, in a healthy family, there will be an attitude of service. Look at the words that describe different family members in this passage. It says, wives, submit. 
Husbands, love. Children, obey. Fathers, instruct. Every single one of those requires an attitude of service. And back in verse 21, he says, service is to permeate. Service is to be a way of life. Actually, it's difficult to reject service in the family. Young husband said to me some time ago, he said, Gary, the first month of our marriage, my wife served me breakfast in bed. He said, it took me a month to get up the courage to tell her that I don't eat breakfast. <laughs> I did a little research on my own and found out that not a single wife in the history of this nation has ever murdered her husband while he was washing dishes. Not one. You see, it's hard to reject service. Little children want to serve. I mean, they're four years old, and what do they say? Mommy, can I help you? Daddy, can I help you? I think it's because they're made in God's image, and God is a God of service. God has served us greatly by sending Christ to us and sending the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. And, and I don't know what happens by the time they're four and the time they get to be teenagers when they kind of lose that desire to serve in the family. But if we will teach this in our family, they'll be serving as teenagers as well because a healthy family, there will be an attitude of service. Dad will serve mom. Mom will serve dad. They will serve the children. The children will learn to serve each other and serve the parents. There'll be an attitude of service. You see, this is the attitude that makes a church like this possible. If there were not hundreds and thousands of people in this fellowship that were not reaching out to serve other people, it, it, would not, it would not work. But with an attitude of service, we can have it in the church, and we can have a healthy church, and we can have a healthy family. Now, I want to give you a couple of practical ideas on how to build this into a family. And that is a couple of little word games that you can play within your family. First one is this. One of you says to the other, let's say a mom says to, to, uh, to, to Betsy, Betsy, one of the ways I served you today, I made your breakfast. And Betsy says, I really appreciate that. And then dad, it, now imagine this happening in your family. Whatever family you have, imagine this happening in your family right now, that, that throughout the week, once in a while, you're saying to the other person, one of the things I did to serve you today was I took the trash out for you. And the other says, I really appreciate that. You see, things are already happening. I mean, we are already serving in the family to some degree, or the family wouldn't even be existing. So it's just acknowledging. It's putting on the front burner. Another little idea is uh, you say to each other once in a while, uh, do you know what something I would really appreciate? I would appreciate it if you'd take the trash out after dinner every night so I don't have to smell it in the morning. And you see, and they'll say, I'll try to remember that. Now, we're not making them do it. We're just giving them information. If you want to do something be helpful to me, we're giving them information. This puts this whole idea of service on the front burner in the family. And once you get it going in the family, then you can take it outside the family. And when you take it outside the family, you begin, one, one way to do that is to have a daily sharing time. We used to do it around the table at night. Everybody gets to tell somebody they served today outside the family. So little, little Johnny's in kindergarten, and he says, well, today Mary dropped her pencil and it broke and I picked it up and I sharpened it and gave it back to her. And the family says, yay, Johnny! And then little Mary gets to tell something she did and daddy gets to tell something he did and we cheer each other on. Now imagine what that does in the family. Our family is here to serve people 
And here are examples of how that's happening. Then you can also have a family service project. One of the things we used to do, especially in the fall, I'd get my kids in the car. This is when they were like 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Get them in the car, put rakes in the back of the car, and we'd drive through the neighborhood looking for yards where the, we, the leaves had not been raked. And I would knock on the door and say, uh, Hi, I'm Gary Chapman, live down the road, and I'm trying to teach my children how to serve other people. And if you don't mind, we'd like to rake your leaves for you. And they would say, Say what? And I would repeat my little line, and they'd say, Oh, I'll pay you to rake my leaves. I've been trying to find someone to rake my leaves. And I say, No, 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 no. We don't want money. I'm trying to teach my children how to serve other people. Do you know we never had anyone who would not let us rake their leaves? Yeah, and the kids loved it. And the, and the part they loved most is when you get them in the pile and you jump in the pile. But it's just, I would take my son with me to the juvenile detention center. And we'd play ping pong with the young men there, you know, and, and just spend time with them. And I'm just teaching him, you know, taking him with me and doing something outside the home to serve other people. So building this attitude of service is a healthy family. Now, for the Christian, this service in the family and out of the family is even more than what I've just said. Listen to these words. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it with your whole heart as though you were doing it for Jesus. Whoa! When you're cleaning the toilet, you're not just cleaning it for your family. You're going to clean it as though you were cleaning it for Jesus. When you're cooking a meal, you're not just cooking a meal for your family. You're cooking a meal as though you were cooking it for Jesus. Now imagine what that does when the whole family gets that idea, that everything we do, we do it with our whole heart because we're doing it like we were doing it for Jesus. You know, Peter said this about Jesus. He went about doing good. That's Acts chapter 10, verse 38. If you want to know a one-sentence definition of the lifestyle of Jesus, he went about doing good. And do you remember what he said about himself? Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and give my life a ransom for others. You see, that's the attitude. Whenever we're following the example of Jesus, we don't see ourselves in this family to be served. We're in this family to serve. And we, we're not in the, in the world to be served. We're in the world to serve. I was walking across the campus of the University of Virginia some time ago. I was going to be speaking in Cabell Auditorium. And on a side door, etched in stone above that door, was these words. You are here to enrich the world, and you impoverish yourself if you forget the errand. I thought, man, what if every university in the country had that as a theme? You're here to enrich the world. But that's the Christian theme. That's the Christian concept. And it starts in the family. And if our children learn how to serve each other in the family, and husbands and wives are serving each other, we're going to have a healthy family, and they're going to go up and go out in the world to serve other people. Second characteristic of a healthy family. There will be intimacy between the husband and the wife. Verse 31 says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother 
and join his wife, and they will become one flesh. Deep, deep intimacy. Now, many times when people think of intimacy, they think in terms of physical intimacy, but it's far more than that. It's intellectual intimacy. It's sharing with each other as husband and wife your thoughts and your ideas and your desires. You see, we can't read each other's mind. I don't know what you've been thinking about today. I don't know what desire you have. I don't know what's on your mind or what we might like to do someday. But if we share those things, we have intellectual intimacy. You see, some of us have lost that because if our spouse shares an idea, we say, well, I don't think that would work. I mean, wouldn't it be better to say, you know, honey, you may be right. I mean, <laughs> and they may be. It may sound crazy, but they may be right. I mean, we, we, but we give negative words and we stop the flow of sharing our thoughts and our desires and what's going on in our mind. It's also not only intellectual intimacy, but it's also emotional intimacy. It's sharing our emotions with each other. One of the things I've encouraged couples to do through the years, I want you to have a little sit-down time every day and tell me two or three things that happen in your life today and how you feel about them. So imagine doing this around the table. If you have kids, fine. They, they get to do the same thing. So dad says, well, one of the things I did, I stopped and I got gas on the way home in the car. How'd you feel about that, dad? Mm, I felt angry. Angry? Why would you feel angry? Well, you know, when it's supposed to click off when it's full, it didn't click off. And the gas went all over the side of the car. And I felt anger. Oh, okay, Dad, I guess I can understand that, you know. Okay, we're just sharing something that happened today, little things, big things, and how I felt about it. And we're into each other's lives emotionally. And with a husband and wife, as we share that with each other, we're building emotional intimacy. And then there's social intimacy. There's doing things together outside the home. Did, did you hear the, the story some, some years ago where a tornado came through a Midwestern town? and lifted the roof right off the house, the farmhouse, and the couple were in the bed, and he lifted the bed with the couple right outside and planted them in the field next door, and the wife was just crying hysterically, and the husband said, Honey, it's okay. We're on the ground, honey. We're safe. It's okay, honey. And she said, I'm not crying because I'm afraid. I'm crying because I'm happy. This is the first time we've been out of the house together in six months. So I ask you, do you get out of the house together? Do you do some things together? It might be just taking a walk down the road. It might be going out to eat. It might be going to a local park. It might be coming to church. But we're doing something outside the home together, two of us. There'll be social intimacy in a healthy marriage. And then there'll be spiritual intimacy. We will share our journey with God together. How do you do that? Well, they can be little things. If you have a daily sit-down time with God, I hope you do, and you open the Scriptures and read a chapter and say, God, I'm listening to you, and then you have a little conversation with God about what you read, some of the time you might share that with your spouse and say, Honey, you know what I read today? I want to read this to you. And you just, you just read them that, that verse and say, that's what, that's what was going on in my life this morning with God. 
Uh, are you, are you, maybe you're doing some of that here in church when you're sitting beside your spouse and you're sitting there singing together and you hear your spouse singing. We're sharing our worship with God. We also share this by praying together. Now, now you know, there are a lot of, a lot of couples that have never learned how to pray together out loud. What I suggest is just start with silent prayer. Hold your hands and close your eyes and pray silently. And when you get through praying, you say amen. Anybody couldn't handle that? Yeah, and if you do that, about six months down the road, one night one of you will flip up and pray out loud. And when you break the silence, you, be, you can pray out loud. Then we're sharing our spiritual journey. And obviously then there's also physical intimacy. We're sharing our bodies with each other. We're holding hands. In fact, if you're with your spouse right now, some of you are, reach over and hold hands right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're by yourself, just hold your own hand. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, hold hands. We put our arm on the shoulder. You know, driving down the road, you put your hand on their leg. You know, just yeah. They're sitting around the house and they walk by and you trip them. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there's the whole sexual part of marriage, to be sure. But in a healthy, in a healthy family, the, the husband and wife will have intimacy. We'll be sharing our lives deeply with each other. That's what it's all about. God said it's not good for man to be alone isolated. He ordained marriage, and it's to be the most intimate relationship in, in the human relationships. It's the intimacy between the husband and the wife. The third characteristic, in a healthy home, parents will teach and train the children. That's what it says in verse 4. They'll bring them up. Teaching and training, those two different words there. Teaching is using words. Training is using actions. So we're both telling them things, instructing them verbally with things, but we're also showing them how to do things. If you're going to teach a child how to wash a car, for example, you can sit there in the room and tell them what we're going to do and how, what the process is going to be, and that's good. But then you take them out there and they watch you do it, and then you let them help you do it, and then they do it by themselves, and now they've learned how to wash the car. The same thing's true with cooking or anything else. But we're, we're doing... We're using words and actions. Now, in our, in our culture, it seems to me that parents tend to go to one extreme or the other. Uh, there are parents who have the idea that all you have to do is this children are in, in, intelligent, so you just explain to the child what you want them to do and why you want them to do it, and, and, and then the, the child will do it. But if the child doesn't do it, what does that parent do? They explain it again a little louder and then a little louder, and eventually they're yelling at their kids. And then there are those who have the other extreme, and, they, and they, they're not going to explain anything. You do it because I said do it. That's why. And if they don't do it, then they make them do it. And those parents can end up physically abusing their children. No, they have to go together, the words and the actions. You mothers ever had this experience? You're fixing dinner, and little Johnny's playing in the yard with, his, with the neighbor kid. And you go to the door and say, Johnny, dinner. And little Johnny just keeps on playing. And you go back and work on dinner. And about five minutes later, you go out and say, Johnny, dinner. Little Johnny just keeps on playing. And then you do it a third time. And the fourth time you go out, you say, Johnny, get home. Little Johnny comes home. Now, why did Johnny come home on number four and not number one, two, three? Because Johnny has learned 
But if he doesn't come home, when mama says, get home, his mother will come down in the neighborhood and take him by the hand and walk him home. And Johnny does not want mama in the neighborhood. So Johnny comes home. Now, it's okay with me if you want to call your children four times for dinner, but you don't have to. They'll come home on number one. If you put the action that you did have on number four with number one, but tell Johnny now, tell him, Johnny went to church today, got a new idea, buddy. Uh, from now on, I'm going to call you one time. And if you don't come, I'm going to come down and get you, okay? You won't go get him but one time. I'll guarantee it. And he'll come home every time on the first call. You see, words and actions together. I remember E.V. Hill, African-American pastor in the, in the Watts area of Los Angeles a number of years ago. He's in heaven now. But he tells the story when he was about 14. He said he went out one night with a bunch of guys, and he said, I had never, never had a beer, but that night they taught me the drinking of beer. And then another one, and another one, and I got drunk. And I came home, and I threw up on the floor in my room, and I fell in the bed, and my mother came in and smelled it, and she just closed the door. But the next morning, he said, my mother came in and said, Evie, get out of bed and clean up this mess. Get yourself a shower. You and I are taking a trip. He said, Mama, I don't want to take a trip. She said, E.V., I didn't ask you. We are taking a trip. Now get out and clean this up. He said, I got up and cleaned it up. It was awful, he said. Mama and I walked out the door. I said, where are we going, Mama? She said, E.V., you don't need to know. You'll see. We got on the subway, and we rode a ways. Then we got off the subway. We came up. He said, I had no idea where we were, but we were, in, we were on Skid Row. He said, my mother went down to the rescue mission every Thursday night and cooked meals, and all the men on the street knew my mama. And he said, we were walking down the street, and the man said, Mama Hill, what you doing here so early today? And she said, this is E.V., my son. He wants to live down here when he, gets, when he gets old. I brought him down to see what it's like. He said, went all day long, went to the rescue mission that night with mama, went home, said, never drank another drop of alcohol in my life. You understand what I'm saying? Words and actions together. Words and actions together. And when we do that, we teach and train our children. Number four, in a healthy family, husbands will be loving leaders. Loving leaders. Don't ever separate those two words. It says the husband will be the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. What did Christ do for the church? He gave his life for the church. You see, a lot of, a lot of people have read this and they say, yeah, this, the Bible says a husband is to be the dictator. No, 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 no. And others use a business model. Well, he's to be the president. She's to be the vice president. No, 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 no. Or they say, he's the general. No, 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 no. The example is Jesus. And Jesus washed the feet of his followers. Do you remember? He washed the feet of the disciples and stood up and said, I'm your leader in my kingdom. This is the way you lead. The husband is a loving leader, serving his wife as Christ served the church. Now, let me just spell this out for you a bit. Those are the words I gave you earlier. Here's the characteristics of a loving husband. 
A loving husband views his wife as a partner. That's the word God used when he said of Adam, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'm going to give him a helper. I'm going to give him one to walk with him. See, why would a man ever make a decision without consulting his helper? When he has a wife made in the image of God, highly intelligent, whom God gave to be a partner, a helper. You see, we're far more likely to make wise decisions if, if we see our wives as our partners in life, as our, they're there to help us in life, and he will view her as a partner. A loving husband will communicate with his wife. He will share his thoughts and feelings with his wife, but he will also listen as his wife shares her thoughts and feelings. They will communicate, talking and listening. Why, why is it so hard to talk and listen? Sometimes because we talk and listen with harsh words and we kind of stop the flow of communication. But in a healthy relationship, the husband and wife will be communicating. I, I encourage couples to have a sit-down time every day together. I mean, I know we're busy. I know we got schedules going. But a sit-down time and share life with each other. Just talk about life with each other for a few minutes every day. And he will put his wife at the top of his priority list. He'll put his wife at the top of his priority list. Now, somebody said, Gary, wait a minute. I thought God was supposed to be at the top of our list. That's true. But when, you, when a husband reports the duty to God, God says, okay, now you're married, right? And so, okay, your first responsibility is your wife. So on the human plane, we put her at the top of our priority list. More important than anything else in our life is our relationship with our wife. She's top on the list. And then the husband will love her unconditionally. You see, let's be honest, sometimes wives are not lovely. Sometimes wives are not responding to us in a lovely way. But let me remind you, God loved us when we were dirty, rotten sinners and sent Christ to die for us. No, we, we're following God's example. We're loving our wives even when they're not lovely. We are loving them unconditionally, not when they love us, not when they're kind to us. We're loving them when they may not be loving us. How in the world can you possibly do that? Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Christian husband is saying to God, Lord, I want to be your agent for loving my wife. So pour your love into my heart and let me express your love to her and be your agent for loving her. We're loving her unconditionally. And I don't think many wives will walk away from a husband who's loving her unconditionally. And then the loving husband is committed to discovering and meeting his wife's needs. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Find out what her needs are and then seek to meet those needs. Well, how do you find out her needs? Well, you could read a book or you could just ask her. Honey, what do I need to be doing for you that I'm, not, that I'm not doing? And I bet she'd tell you. If you ask her, I bet she'd tell you. And now you've got information. Now you know what you can do, I need, what you can do to meet that need. So we're to be 
meeting the needs of our wives. And then a loving husband will seek to model his spiritual and moral values. That is, he will seek to live by what he says he believes. You see, the closer that a man's walk matches his talk, the easier it is for his wife to respect him and his children to respect him. The greater gap between what we say we believe and the way we actually live, the greater the gap, the more difficult it is for our children and our wives to respect us. Again, we don't do this without the help of God. But with the help of God, we can be the kind of husband God designed us to be in the marriage. The fifth characteristic of a healthy family, children will obey and honor their parents. That's precisely what it says in the first three verses of chapter 6. Obedience is a healthy word. Obedience is where children learn to obey and honor their parents. Obedience builds respect for authority. You know what public school teachers say to me? Gary, the biggest problem in the public school room is discipline. The kids don't respect the authority of the teacher. Spend half my time just trying to get discipline there and there. See, if we learn it at home, they'll carry it to school with them, and they will respect authority. And they will also, it also builds responsibility. It's amazing how many people in a younger generation, many of whom did not get this in home, and they're not responsible. You know, one of the things that's happening today all over our country is there are thousands of jobs, and people can't get people to work in the jobs. It's a lack of a sense of responsibility. Why should I work if somebody else is going to take care of me? And it also will build character into that child, which they will carry into adulthood. Rules are a necessary part of life. And children need to learn how to obey rules. And the parents are older than the children and hopefully wiser than the children, so we set the rules for the children. I'm amazed at how many three-year-olds run a household. You know, it's Sunday morning, and we say, come on, honey, let's get your dress on. We're going to go to church. And the three-year-old says, no. Oh, honey, grandmother gave you this dress. No. Oh, honey, look at the pretty ducky-wuckies. No. How do you get a dress on a three-year-old? You stuff her in it. It's got one hole for the head and two for the arms. It takes about 30 seconds. I've seen parents take, you know, 15 minutes trying to get a three-year-old dressed. So we, we we're teaching them how to obey us. And, and one of the ways they learn that is by our model, by our model. By the way, we obey the rules that we live under. So it's 10 o'clock at night, you're driving home from the event where your teenage son was playing sports and the game's over and you're going home and you get to the intersection, it says no left turn. But there's no traffic anywhere. And if you don't turn left, you've got to go two more blocks before you can turn left. What are you going to do? If you turn left, you've just said to that son, 
if nobody's watching, it's okay to break the law. And if you do what the law says and you go straight and the teenage son says, Dad, why don't you turn back there? It's closer. You say, Son, didn't you see the sign? It said no left turn. But, Dad, there was no traffic. Son, we don't obey the law just because nobody's there. We obey the law because it's the law. And now you're teaching them by your model to obey the laws. We also teach them by letting children suffer the consequences when they misbehave. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. If a man will not work, neither should he eat. <laughs> Isn't that a novel idea? Now that assumes a person's able to work, okay? So children, children have to have responsibilities and recognize there's consequences when they don't, when they don't do that. Let's say you have a rule that we don't throw the ball inside the house. We throw the ball in the yard, but not inside the house. And, and if you do throw the ball in the house, then the consequences are you lose the privilege of playing with the ball for two days. We'll have to put it in the trunk of the car for two days. And if you break something when you throw the ball in the house, we'll have to take it out of your allowance and pay for it. Okay? Everybody got the deal? So, let's say the child throws the ball in the house, breaks a vase. What's the parent going to do? Johnny, Mary, you know one of the things I like about you? You seldom break the rules. But you know you broke a rule this time, right? You weren't supposed to throw the ball in the house. So what do we have to do? Put the ball in the trunk of the car. Yeah, let's go. We go, go with me. Let's do it. We put it in there. We say, now, I don't know how much that vase costs. But I have to find out, and we'll have to take it out of your allowance, okay? But one of the things I appreciate about you is you seldom break the loose. What did you do? You let him suffer the consequences, but you wrapped it in love. You wrapped it in love. And he'll walk away saying, or she'll walk away saying to themselves, this is fair, this is right. You let them suffer the consequences when they break the rules. You know, I've had parents say to me, Dr. Chapman, my son got picked up for driving under the influence, and I don't want him to stay in jail. And I went down there and got him out the first night. And I said, Really? Really? I said, what do you think is going to happen three months from now? Well, I hope you'll never do it again. Well, I think there's a better chance of that if you let him suffer the consequences of what he did. And chances are he won't do it again. Suffering the consequences when we break the rules. And then we reward the child for obedience. Now, someone says, Gary, I don't think you ought to reward a child for doing right. Well, God does. God does. Listen, listen to these words. Psalm 19, verse 11. It's talking about God's laws. By them is thy servant warned, and in keeping them there's great reward. Folks, you want to have the best possible life on earth? If God says don't do it, don't do it. If God says do it, do it and you're going to have the best possible life. Every law God gave us in the Scriptures is because He loved us and wanted us to have a good life. And all of our rules for the children should be because we love them and want them to have the best possible life. So we reward them for doing good. We reward them when they obey and let them suffer the consequences when they don't obey. Okay? Well, obedience leads to honor 
And I want to suggest that honor is caught more than taught. Your children will likely honor you by the way they see you honoring your parents. My mom lived to be 99. I hope I have her genes. But the last eight years, I had sitters around the clock with her. And I'd go down every week. She lived an hour away. I'd go down every week, and as long as she was able, I'd take her out to lunch, and we'd spend the afternoon together. And I made sure that my two grown children knew what I was doing for Mama. Because someday, someday, I may need that kind of attention. You with me? We honor our parents, and chances are they learn to honor us, okay? So we do that. We honor them by words of appreciation to our parents. We do that by acts of kindness to our parents. We do that by talking about the good traits of our parents and often do it behind their backs. It's okay. You tell about how wonderful your mom is, what good things about your dad, and let your children hear you talking about them in a positive way. Okay, now, if you didn't write these five down, I want to ask you to write them down. I don't know. Maybe they're not. I thought they were on the screen at the end, but maybe they're not. So let me give them to you again because here is the assignment I'm going to give you. I'm going to ask you to go home and take a sheet of paper and write these five characteristics on it. Okay? And then duplicate it. Give every member, everybody that's living in your house now, every family member living in your house now, give them a sheet of paper with these five things on it. Then everybody's going to go to their room or go somewhere in the house and rate how you think your family's doing on these five traits on a scale of zero to ten. Ten means we're doing great. Zero means this is not happening. Okay? Anywhere in between. They give a number. Then they'll bring the family back. Whatever family's in your house, bring them back. And everybody gets to tell the number they gave to each one of these and why. Okay? Now we're having a family conversation so that everybody gets to give input on how they think our family's doing. So here they are again, if you didn't get them down. One is an attitude of service. An attitude of service. Two is intimacy between the husband and wife. Three is parents who teach and train their children. Four is husbands who are loving leaders. And five is children who obey and honor their parents. I can almost guarantee you, if you'll go home and do this little take-home quiz and give the family a chance to respond, you will hear some things that you had no idea. Your teenage children, let them rate you on intimacy between the husband and wife. And you come back, and they've got a two beside that. And you say, why? Why'd you say that, son? Because all you guys ever do is yell and scream at each other. I don't think that's intimacy. Whoa. You'll get good feedback. You'll get good feedback. And chances are you can then say, okay, let's start working on some of this stuff. Let's start working on this stuff. And you begin to work on these five things. Listen, I don't care what kind of family you grew up in. We didn't, we didn't choose the family we grew up in. They influenced us greatly, but we don't have to 
We don't have to be reproducing the negative aspects that we grew up in. We can chart a whole new course. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There's not, not a good chance we're going to do this effectively without the help of God. Remember that first verse that said, don't get drunk with wine, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Don't be under the influence of wine, but be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But when we turn our lives over to Christ and we receive him as our Savior and Lord and his Spirit comes to live in us, and every day we have a sit-down time with God, and we're talking to God and listening to God as we read a chapter in the Bible. And we're asking His Spirit to guide us in building a family. We can have healthy families. And if we can have a rebirth of healthy families in this country, we can have a rebirth of our nation. And if anybody's going to do it, if anybody's going to set the pace, it's going to have to be Christians who have not only the picture of what it ought to be like, but we have the, the help to make it happen. So that's my challenge for you. Looking forward to being back with you in October and going to do a marriage conference. We'll give you a, a listening guide to take home with that. Uh, we have great, great response to, to this event. Uh, we do it all over the country uh, 15 times a year. And here we're going to do it on a Friday night and a Saturday. And uh, I just hope many, many of you who are online and those who are in person uh, will be with us uh, during that event. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If you're seated beside a family member, if you're seated beside a family member, would you reach over and hold hands and let me pray for you. And if you're seated by yourself or not beside a family member, you just hold your own hand and think about your family. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place and worship you. Thank you for what you're doing in this fellowship of believers. And I pray that everyone who listened to us today will be moved by your spirit, that their hearts will reach out wherever they are in the journey, some looking back and realizing maybe we need to apologize to our grown children, but some with children in the home, some who are single adults and looking back at their family and looking to the future and hoping someday to have a healthy family. Father, may our lives be different because we came to church today. And may our hearts be open to you to guide our lives and, and our time. So use this time together to accomplish your purposes in our lives. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Pastor David, God bless you, brother. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. So let me tell you, let me tell you what I love that you did. Am I on? Let me tell you, it'd help if I turn the mic on. <laughs> so let me tell you, let me tell you, there we go. Let me tell you what I love that you did. So what I love that Gary did is you, first of all, you said, this is what the Bible says. And so these weren't your words, but it was here's real plainly, simply, this is what the Bible says as far as how to have healthy, healthy families. And then you said, in essence, 50 years of experience as a counselor, 60 years of experience as a husband, as a, as a father, um, validated everything the Bible said. And so you've just seen this play out in your life. And then you kind of close this with saying, God's spirit who is in us is gonna give us the ability to live this out. And so that's just very cool. It's very encouraging to see we can do this because God is gonna help us. Absolutely. And it's not just your ideas, your thoughts, though you validated 
what Scripture says in your life. And so thank you. That was real cool. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. So good to have you here. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. So if you happen to be in one of our rooms, or actually if you happen to be in Mannheim, then Gary's going to be down front here to the left. Would love to visit with you, say hello to you if you'd like to do that. If you would like to talk with somebody or maybe have somebody pray with you about anything that Gary's talked about or really anything else, then the chat, if you happen to be online, is going to remain open, and uh, you can let us know how we can be praying for you. Or if you happen to be in one of our rooms, then uh, down to the front right of each of our rooms, then there'd be people there that would love to pray with you as well. Or just know, anytime you can go uh, to the website, site and click on the prayer button and we would love to be praying with you. And then I would just encourage you, Gary mentioned it, but make plans to join us for the Five Love Languages Conference. It'll take place October 15th and 16th through the dates of that. It's a Friday night, Saturday, and you can register already by going to the LCBC website and uh, doing that. It's just lcbcchurch.com. And I would tell you, go ahead and sign up now. Put it on your calendar. Otherwise, you're going to get busy and your schedule is going to just kind of fill up and you're not going to do it. So plan now um, in order to just say, how do I get better in my relationships and my family? Well, so good to have you with us today. And uh, next week, we actually continue in our Way Back series and talking about reconnecting with God and others. Next weekend is also the first time you get to preview what the atriums look like for at the movies. And then that all kicks off the weekend of uh, Labor Day weekend. So make sure you bring a friend, make sure you bring kids, grandkids, a neighbor, bring somebody with you as, uh, as at the movies kicks off Labor Day weekend. Well, as always, LCBC, as you go throughout the coming week, may the Lord bless you, protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.